Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. So now the audio feed has started, and now it will be on the podcast whenever we get done with Ecclesiastes. So go find the podcast, RK Ministries, wherever podcasts are found, and you can find uh, me on YouTube, again, and Rumble, and obviously here on Facebook. Like and share and subscribe and hit the hit the you know the bell so that you can get notifications and share it with other people. And the same thing on the podcast, do that as well. Uh, so... Um, just as a reminder, yeah, I got the ticker going on the bottom. Hopefully you can see that. Uh, just be praying for uh, Friendship Baptist. We're going to have a revival in November, November 5th through the 8th. Uh, if you're in the area, I encourage you to make plans to be there on that Sunday night through Wednesday night uh, as we endeavor to uh, worship the Lord and uh, see the Lord move in our lives, in our church, in our community, and pray that God would use these meetings to help people who are lost to come to faith in Christ and those who are saved to be challenged and encouraged to to be faithful in it in whatever it is that God wants them uh, to do. <clears throat> so without any further ado, let's get into our text tonight. Uh, in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter Ecclesiastes chapter uh, three. And beginning in verse 16, really you break this down into kind of three, I think, main uh, thoughts, main uh, paragraphs, if you will. Uh, verse 16 through about verse 17 uh, has to do with the idea of uh, humanities, inhumanity to man, if you want to use that kind of language, or the, uh, the injustice that comes with the fallen world. And then Solomon kind of transitions or at least uh, another subject he brings into mind as a result of his thinking about this idea of injustice and his inability necessarily to do anything about it or change it in any way is uh, the idea of you know death well life ultimately all of us is going to die and so he begins to contemplate what happens to a person when they when they die and what what is the you know what what is the purpose of anything in life if that's all our end is that we live and that we die and we live in a world that seems to be filled with injustice um and then he he concludes kind of with this idea of can we even know what happens after uh after we die right and what 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 is the purpose of life if we can't even answer that one question and so we'll just get into it and kind of take it those those verses at a time 16 through 17 and 18 through uh 20 or 21 and then uh yeah 21 then we'll finish up with verse 22 so it begins with verse 16 it says moreover now you got to remember he just got off of this poem uh just lost my camera feed there he goes. Uh, he got off of this poem that we started out with about there's a time for everything. So he's already entertained this idea of, of death that we're going to talk about in a moment, that there's a time to live, there's a time to die. So it's not a new topic he's bringing up. His, his mind's just going back uh, to that. And then he leaves that topic and he gives us really this oasis of hope again because we have learned through our study in Ecclesiastes that Solomon's really not... Really not 
atheist, right? We know he's not. We know Kohelet, the preacher, Solomon, uh, he, he follows after God. It seems sometimes in Ecclesiastes that he is, uh, you know, living life apart from God, but that's, that's on purpose. He's trying to help us, for, help force us to contemplate this question, is there meaning in life apart from God? Um, or another way to put it, he's trying to help us see in a positive way that the only real true meaning that comes to life, this life, is to know that there is a God and there is life after this, this and that life is found in, in God. So while we live here to find true meaning in life, we are while we live in time and space, that is, we ought to <clears throat> live in such a way that brings glory and honor to God in everything uh, that we do. And so he's already kind of given us that foreshadowing. That's going to be his ultimate conclusion in chapter 12. Uh, so all along the way, he's given us the glimpse of the answer that he's pushing us to, that there is a God, and that's the only way that we really find true meaning in life. But then he hits upon a point that, you know, all of us see is something that we can't help but see in our culture today. Uh, in every culture that's come before us, uh, all throughout history, men and women ha have seen this in their culture, in their in their society, and that's the idea of injustice. And so he begins in verse eighteen. Moreover, I saw under the sun, and again we know that phrase means from Solomon's perspective in this teaching that he's given us, that if we look at life merely from the perspective that there is only what we see under the sun, there is no <clears throat> there is no uh, heaven, there is no God, there is nothing beyond uh, this this life under the sun, that there is no meaning. And he says, if we look at injustice in that way, I think is the implication of this section, that we'll come to that same conclusion. So he says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And so what is he saying? You know, from their perspective, it would be the, the places where they would bring people to um, hold court, if you will. A lot of times in, in nations, it would be at the gates where it's where um, judicial activity would take place. And so wherever it, is, wherever it is that they held court, wherever it is that you would expect justice to be uh to be taken place, you know, where wrongs would be righted and people would be treated and judged fairly and honestly and and justly. He says that even in those places, injustice, wickedness uh, was taking place. And, and those harbors where you would expect people to see that, hey, justice is blind, right? It doesn't take into account your status. It doesn't take into account uh, your ethnicity. It doesn't take into account anything about you other than the truth. And then it takes the truth and it, meet, it meets out justice. Well, what Solomon is saying is, hey, even in those places where you expect justice to take place, justice has not been served. There's wickedness even there. And it, it doesn't take you long throughout history. And we don't even have to go... Uh, into history we can go into our recent history and into our life right now and we can see that there are many instances in in, in our life in our culture in our nation where there has been injustice even in those places where you think justice ought to take place and now we you know i'm not going to take time to go through all the things i think would be unjust or, or not just in those areas you, you can bring up plenty of those ideas on your own but there's legitimate there's a legitimate understanding or at least ought to be a legitimate understanding that 
in places of justice, say for instance in our nation in the judicial system, uh, there ought to be places there. They, these ought to be places where justice is 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 righteous and justice is true, and that true justice is meted out. The only problem is in our society, just like any other society, we are filled with fallen human beings, right? That that's the problem with this world is because of Adam and Eve, because of um, the fall in Genesis. Sin entered into this world, and sin corrupted us totally and completely. And you have heard the old adage before that you know absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it's it's not you know it's it's not that you know necessarily people head out and intend to be unjust in their dealings. Some do. There are rightly those who intend to be unjust in their dealings in the place where they should be meeting out justice. But there are people, because of their nature, because of the sinfulness, because of the fall, injustice is part of the world that we live in. Now, again, it seems like it's hopeless, like, because what can I do about an unjust judicial system? In America, the only thing that I can ultimately do is share my concerns about that and to cast my vote in ways that would help overturn or remove those people that we would perceive to be uh, unjust. But here, here's, the pro- here's another problem we got to think about when we deal with this whole issue of justice. It's what do we ter- how do we determine what is just? How do we determine what justice is, right? We in America we have our constitution. Well, how do we know that our constitution is just, right? How do we know that the the framers and everything that they codified in the constitution and the way they set up our judicial system? How do we understand that that is just? Where do we get the idea of what justice looks like? And see, there's the problem we have in our society today, because even as our framers have said, and again, I, I don't know exact people who quoted this or attributed to it but the the implicate the, the understanding of our constitutional system is that if it is if if the if the constitution is not administered by moral and just people then it it, it has no hope uh it, it is meant for those kinds of people so if you have immoral people in it doesn't matter what it's just a piece of paper right uh so how do we know what justice is? Well, justice in, in our society, people try to uh, define justice in many ways, right? And I always say this, there's only one true form of justice, and that's God's justice, because God is just. And, you know, as Christians, in a, from a biblical worldview, that's what we need to understand, that the standard of justice is in the character of God. There's nothing, there's nothing outside of God that is just or defines justice and then God aligns himself with that justice. No, justice is inherent in the character of God. Justice is uh, emanating from God. He defines what justice is. So if we want to know what true justice is, we must, it must come from a true just uh, creator, a true just God. And so what our society does, though, is we try to, we try to use terms like, you know, we put adjectives in front of justice, like, you know, social uh, justice. Well, what is social justice? Social justice is this concept that what is just for this particular society in this particular era of humanity, well, that's the standard of justice. Well, what happens when that shifts, right? When you get a different group of people in or different, uh, you're in a different area or a different culture, then justice begins to shift based on the social constructs of those 
areas. And so that no longer is true justice. It is ambiguous, right? It, it is arbitrary. It just depends on what the group of people who are in charge at that moment determine what is just. There has to be an outside standard of justice for us to gauge what is truly just. And we have that in God. Through In God, we have the, the, uh, the identification of what is true, holy, righteous, and just. And we see that in a kind of a broad spectrum kind of way in in the in the um, moral code of God in the Ten Commandments right we want to know what the holiness and what holiness it looks like we want to know what justice looks like we see it in the moral code that God has given to uh, humanity came through Moses Mount Sinai but the law <clears throat> in the sense of the moral code the Ten Commandments it transcends all nations and all peoples it it is binding on all nations and all peoples it's not just for one group of people at one particular time in history because it i mean it it portrays for us the character of god and it teaches us what it looks like to love god with all our heart soul mind and strength it teaches us what it looks like to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves so it teaches us what true and lasting justice <clears throat> is all about so if we want to know what justice is we see it from god and from his word and the sad reality is is that men have throughout history perverted that justice and there have been many people who have been in the wrong place at the wrong time and committed you know been convicted for crimes that they did not commit uh, but more often than not you know in in our society it seems as though uh, that people are justly convicted um, but there have been those uh, times when people have been found innocent later on with new evidence or you know new technology and those kinds of things so anyway uh, Solomon sees the same problem that you and I see in our society that even in those places where it ought to be a bastion of justice that uh, evil and wickedness reign supreme in those places because evil and wicked people uh, are in charge and, and, and function in those places and the only hope and the only change for that is ultimately going to be when Christ comes again or the redemption of their soul uh, to change them uh, as individual people or when Christ comes again to establish his kingdom uh, once and for all and eternally on the new heaven and the new earth so Solomon has that concern about the idea of wickedness and so <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I think is in the mind of Solomon when we're reading this based on verse 17 is he realizes that there's very limited things he can do now again for us in America we, we, we have we have opportunity to, to change culture and society in a way that no other nation no other group of people have in the history of humanity because we have the freedom uh, based on our constitution to redress our government without fear of being you know uh, beheaded or uh, you know thrown in prison uh, and those kinds of things where other you know when when Solomon's writing hey it's it's a dictatorship right it's this in Israel's case the intent was for it to be a theocracy where God was the king, uh, and, but they had an earthly king, but all the kingdoms around them, uh, it was a dictatorship. So, you know, if you spoke up against the dictatorship, you better be ready to suffer the consequences because you might find your head uh, on a a platter. Just ask John the Baptist. And so, and from that perspective, now in Solomon's time, it was a, it was a time of peace, right, prosperity, um, but we know later on in Israel, I mean, it became a, a place where wickedness and injustice reigned supreme many times and through many years. 
But Solomon says, looking out into the world around him, that he saw this injustice all over the place. And he saw very little little that human beings could do to change that, uh, that injustice in that place where justice should be being served. And so how do you deal with that? How do you live in light of that, right? How do you live if you're in a place where you don't have a voice, where you, you don't have the freedom to do what we have to do, we are able to do in America? Verse 17, listen to what Solomon says. I think this is the key for us to be able to live in a society, even though we see an injustice taking place. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do what we need to do to point people back to the kind of justice that God intends for us to live with, right, and live in. Uh, based on his holy character, his moral code. And we ought to do everything we can to do that. But we also need to understand that we can't legislate justice, right? There's always going to be immorality. There's always, always going to be unjust people or unjust people in, in places of leadership, and they're going to pervert justice, and there's going to be places where justice ought to be that's going to be filled with wickedness and unrighteousness. So what, what can we do? How can we live in with with that reality, knowing that we we only have a limited amount of uh, impact in in society to meet out justice? Well, here's what we do. Verse 17, Solomon says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. <clears throat> that's that's one way we got to live with it, right? We got we got to come to the conclusion that just like it says in Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter eighteen, when uh, I think it's Abraham who asked this question: Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? God will judge the wicked. Judge will judge the righteous. Every human being is going to stand before God and give an account for their lives, for the good and the and the bad uh, that they have done. <clears throat> in in maybe not to wax too. Uh, soteriological but you and i need to understand that when those books are open as we see in revelation uh, and every man is judged by what's written in those books that every one of us when we stand before god based solely on what's written in those books the deeds that we have done we're going to be weighed in the balance and we're going to be found wanting we're going to be found guilty before god and the only hope for us is that when we stand before god that we would have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. We, have, we would have given our heart and our life to Jesus Christ. We would have bowed to his authority. Christ would have imputed his righteousness on our account. So when we stand before God in judgment, we stand there in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are found uh, not guilty because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Any, any, any other way we stand before God, we're found guilty, right? God will judge, and everyone's going to reap or going to receive their reward, their just due from God uh, in that sense. So you and I need to be ready. Judgment is coming, right? And I think even today God judges, right? If you take Romans chapter 1, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 1 about those that uh, that suppress the, the truth of God, right? It begins in, in verse 18, talking about the righteousness of God, or the, the wrath of God is revealed, uh, through this gospel message that he's saying, God's right wrath is being revealed. How's it being revealed? Well, he he turns people who suppress the truth uh, over to a debased mind. He lets them suffer the consequences of their choices here and now, and then one day they will suffer the consequences of that choice for all of eternity. So we must live in light of this fact: fact that God is going to judge every human being. 
and all the wrongs will be made right, and everyone will be rewarded for uh, and get their just due for the way that they have lived their life. And the only hope for any of us is that we stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And again, I think, not to bring you know, every verse in the Bible into this, but we, we all, we need to look at the totality of scripture and see how all of these things fit together. I think this is one of the important messages that God was giving to the first century church when he wrote the book of revelation through John, right? And because John told those that he was writing to that I'm your partner in persecution, right? I'm your partner in this, in tribulation. I'm your partner in patient endurance, and what was God's ultimate message to the first century when he was writing Revelation? Now, it has bearing on us, too. And you can go find our Revelation study that we've done on Facebook Live or on the podcast. You can go find our Revelation study and get the full message of Revelation. But the ultimate point God is trying to get across to the first century church who was going through persecution, and that persecution was going to ramp up uh, for them. It's going to get worse before it got better. God was telling them, hey, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the ground right now. It doesn't matter that Caesar's in control. It doesn't matter that Caesar's on his throne. It doesn't matter you know, what it looks like and feels like. You need to understand that I'm in control. I am enthroned, and I'm working out history according to my plan. And one day, I'm going to judge every human being, and, and I will make all the wrongs on this earth right through that act of judgment. And so that's how we can live even with the, the injustice that we see, we we got to come to grips that there's never going to be a to, total uh, judicial system in this world that is totally 100% always just until Christ comes and he is enthroned once and for all on the new heaven and the new earth. And he puts all of his enemies under his feet as his footstool. And so... Uh, again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do the things that we need to do in the way that we vote and how that we live our lives, how we proclaim the truth of God's word, that we point people to what true justice is, what it, true justice looks like, what the source of true justice is as we point them to the truth of God's word, to the character of God. And so uh, Solomon continues. He says, now in verse 17, he makes this conclusion, I said in my heart, and he makes this conclusion that God judges. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. And then again, in verse 18 through 20, I think he carries on the same, he carries the same thought in those verses about this issue of death because he begins to contemplate, you know, hey, if judgment coming, that means people are probably going to die uh, and stand before God and and. So he begins to say in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beast. And now we have to pause there because when we read that passage, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll say, wait a minute. You know, how can God say that we are mere beasts? We're mere animals, right? How can, how can, how can Solomon write like that? Because we know that we are, you know, humanity, human beings are the crown jewel of God's creation, right? Uh, that there is a distinction between humanity and the animal kingdom. While there are some similarities, which we're going to see in this passage, there are some distinctions, right? And we talk about this all the time, and some people get, uh, you know, upset about it a little bit, but uh, I think it's a reality and a truth that humanity, we have, we have a soul in us, Right, that will be eternally 
in the presence of God and be reunited to our body in the eschaton. Uh, we're our spirit. You want to call it spirit, whatever. Uh, we're animals don't necessarily have that same kind of spirit or, or soul. Uh, animals have a certain level of reasoning and understanding, <clears throat> but, you know, a dog don't know it's a dog. A cat doesn't know it's a cat. Fish doesn't know it's a fish, right? And most of what animals do, they do based on instinct. Now they can learn, right? Even goldfish can learn how to navigate, uh, you know, a maze to find food, okay? So they have the ability to learn and adapt in that kind of way. But they have, even the higher level ones, you know, the monkeys, chimpanzees, apes, um have those abilities to learn and adapt and you know make tools and even some of them we've seen them where they've learned some level of sign language and those kinds of things but they have not the reasoning ability that you and I have to know that I am a human being and that you know I exist in this world as a human being with a purpose and a meaning and all those kinds of things and I know a lot of people get mad at me for saying that but there is a distinction uh, between humanity and animals so how is it that Solomon can say that we are uh, we are like beast you know well I, I think if we finish this verse we'll find out what he's talking about I don't think he's literally saying that we're no better or no different than animals I think what he's saying is Ultimately, the same thing happens to the animal, to the beast, that happens to human, humanity, that we all die. Uh, every one of us have the same end if the Lord tarries. Um, one out of every one person is going to die. And that means you, and that means me, right? So, uh, he, he goes on the same verse 19, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, that life force, if you will. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. And boy, that's a very powerful uh, thing to think about, right? And so Solomon's really just challenging us. To think about and contemplate that issue in life. If we see all these things in life that are going on and it's merely under the sun and there is no life after death and there is no God and there, there's nothing more than this temporal world that we live in, then we're not any different than the animals, are we? No matter how much reason we have, no matter how much ability or skill that we have that differentiates us and distinct, distinguishes us from uh, you know, primates or other animals, it really doesn't matter if our end is just to live and die. If our end is to come from dust and return to dust, then it is all vanity. And we are no different than they are. So how is it that we can even think that there's true value and meaning in life if this is all there is? You know, isn't that what kind of kind of what Paul says in um I think it's Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, where when he's talking about the resurrection, he says that if it's in this life only that we hope in Christ, then we of, are the most pitied of all people, right? Because there has to be more 
There has to be a God. There has to be eternal life. There has to be more than what is here before of, before us if life really is going to have true meaning and value. And we've seen this kind of talk from Solomon before, and we've, we've discussed this idea, right? Because, you know, no, no matter how hard the atheist tries to fabricate true meaning and value of life, if all we are are people who came from amoebas or from primordial soup and eventually by chance over thousands of years evolved into whatever it is that we are now and it's always been about the survival of the fittest, it's always been about you know those who are the stronger, have the stronger genes, passing on those genes uh, throughout all of human history, all the history of the world, but then what happens to them? They just die. That's it. And then that process just continues. For what end? To what end? For what purpose? There is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no value to it all. It's just a never-ending progression of people who live, or animals who live and die, and, and they're forgotten. And so we have this perpetual energy ball where all the energy or all the matter just recirculates and recycles in this world, right? And there is no end, no meaning, no value to what you have done in this world. Because in a hundred years, every one of us will be forgotten. Right? Maybe there's a th some things that people have done, obviously, that have lasted throughout history that we still benefit us and function today. But really, what does it matter? Because if it's just in this life, all that's going to go away and fade away too, eventually. So Solomon's saying in that way, if this is all there is, we're not any different than the animals. There is no purpose and meaning to life. But we know Solomon's already given us a glimpse. This is not all there is. Because how many times already, at least three times, he's already talked to us about God and what God has given us to do. And so he's pointing us to the fact that true meaning and value in life comes because there is more. That this life is not the end. That death is not, uh, is, is not the end of who you are. And so you you got to be prepared for that, one, because the first reality is that every person is going to die. If Jesus tarries, right, if he continues to tarry, then every person is going to die. Hey, in 50 years, I will have been dead, right? Some point of that time between now and the next 50 years, I'm going to die. And I've got to be ready to meet my maker. I've got to be ready to stand before uh, God. Same for you, right? And maybe you're younger than I am, so you may have, you know, if the Lord blesses you, you may have a few more years uh, to go than, than I do ultimately. You know, but if I live another 50 years, 105 years old, I will be. A good chance are that I don't make it to 105, right? Uh, love to, but there's a good chance I won't. Somewhere between here and that, then that I'm going to cease to exist in this temporal world and I will stand before my maker. You got to be ready for that. I'm ready to stand before him, right? Not because of who I am, but because of what Christ has done. Christ came and died on the cross of Calvary. He, he fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled everything that was required to, to appease God's wrath against sin. He fulfilled everything that was required to cover over my sin and appease and, and, and cover over my guilt for sin and uh, make a way for me to be clothed in his righteousness. If I will confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Lord says, I will be saved. And when that happens, he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, became sin for me, that I 
might become the righteousness of God. So I might have God's righteousness imputed to me. And so when I stand before him, I can be just like Paul says I am in Romans chapter 8, right? In, uh, in verse 1, there is therefore no, now no condemnation, right? Because we are in Christ Jesus. We are, uh, in, again, in Romans chapter 8, we, we, are, we are sanctified, we are justified, we, will, we are glorified in the mind of God, those who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. So that's the question before you today. It's not a question of if Jesus tarries now, I keep saying that, because he's coming again, right? And there'll be a generation of humanity who is alive when he comes again. And Paul talks about that in Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, that those who are alive when he comes again, those who have died in Christ, they'll be raised, right? And they'll receive their brand new body. And those who are alive in those last days, and that day when Christ comes again, they'll be caught up to be with them. They'll receive their brand new body. They'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But for the majority of us, of us and for the majority of Christian humanity, uh, we will meet our Savior in death, or m more likely than we will when he comes again. So are you ready? That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. But today is the day of salvation because you're not promised tomorrow. Life is a vapor, right? We've already learned that from Solomon as well. And, you know, the Gospels make that clear. Jesus makes that clear. It's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so you need to be prepared today because you're not, you're not guaranteed that you'll wake up in, in the morning. So are you ready to walk through that doorway of death? Do you understand? There's more to this, right? For the righteous and the unrighteous, there is more. Every human being will be raised from the dead. There's two resurrections, one of the just and one of the unjust. <clears throat> and you will have a destination that uh, equates to whichever resurrection that you are in. If you're in the resurrection of the just, you will enter into the kingdom of God. You will enter into the presence of God for all of eternity. If you're in the resurrection of the unjust, then you will be cast into outer darkness. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. And so that's what Solomon's trying to get us to understand and contemplate. If, if there is no God and there is nothing beyond this, then you live and you die and that's it. And there's no meaning and there's no hope and there's no purpose. The only true meaning, purpose, and hope is that there is a God. There is more to this life. This temporal world is not the end. There is an eternal world. There's an eternal kingdom that we are, are part of. And then that leads us to the last uh, verse that... Uh, well, not the last verse. Look, look at verse uh, 21. Verse 21 says, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into uh, the earth? And again, the, the, the implication is, how can we know what's going to happen? Well, we know from the greater revelation of the New Testament, and even 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 from elements uh, in the Old Testament, where in the Psalms David says that you're going to rescue my soul, uh, in essence, from from Sheol. Right? You won't leave me uh, in the grave. So there is these these there are these elements of resurrection even in the Old Testament, and we know from the New Testament it's very clear. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Right? He's the first fruit from the dead. He rose again, so he, we will rise again. And as Paul tells us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, all right? So when you die, you're not in some uh, state of limbo where you are uh, in the grave and in, an, in a spiritual sleep, I guess. Uh, no, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you die, you, you go to your eternal destination, or at least that stopping off point until the new heaven and new earth is created in the eschaton. 
And the same, the converse is true. If you die and you're not in Christ, you've never been saved, you die in your sin, then you go to your reward, which is eternal punishment. Now, again, we don't have time to get into everything that that means, but just to, to, to give you a small, a slight picture of that, uh, and, and I've done a talk on the idea of, of hell, uh, heaven and hell, and what that means and where people go when they die from Old Testament perspective, New Testament perspective, and you can find that on the podcast and maybe even on Facebook Live if you search for it. But Jesus gives us a picture of that in um, Luke chapter 16 when Jesus is talking, uh, gives the, the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? And the rich man dies and he goes to um, Hades. Uh, and then Lazarus dies and he goes to the bosom of Abraham. And we see those two compartments there. And again, uh, I don't know if I should have went down this trail already because we we, we need to understand it a little bit. You're going to go to one of those. You're going to go to a place like that right now. Jesus, um, there's only one of those compartments still filled, I believe, because as Jesus died and was buried in the grave in in those three days, the Bible talks about him going and leading captivity captive. In other words, he goes to what I think is paradise, the bosom of Abraham, and he brings all of those who had believed the promise of God and uh, who had died and gone on to be in the bosom of Abraham, he carries them into the presence of uh, of God in the heavenly heavenly kingdom, uh, in the throne before the throne room of God. And the only thing left in that place in in Hades is the the compartment of torment where the rich man was in. And so, if you die today, if you're a Christian. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You go to be where the Lord is. And right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you die in your sin, well, you go where that rich man is. And that is in um, in torment, in that place called Hades, in that side of the compartment. And the only reason I, I say that I think that compartment still exists, one side's empty, and the other side has a plethora of people in it right now, is because when you read the end of, book, the, end of the book, or when you read chapter 20 in Revelation, Chapter 20 in Revelation, when you get to the great white throne judgment, it talks about that death and Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. So that compartment, which, again, I, I think that that's a figure of speech, that death and Hades. Um, and again, maybe pressing too much on, on the scripture a little bit, but from a Jewish perspective, she owes the abode of the dead, that place of death. Uh, and so, you know, it makes sense that Old Testament saints would have went to this abode of the dead in the bosom of Abraham, while Old Testament lost people, to use our vernacular today, would have been in the other side of that compartment. Uh, and so I think Hades is equivalent to Sheol in the Old Testament. And now the bosom of Abraham compartment is empty, and the other side, the, the torment side of that compartment is still full. And when the end comes and everybody is uh, raised, the the righteous are judged and go into the presence of the Lord for all of eternity and the unrighteous are judged because their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life that they're cast into the lake of fire and then death and Hades, the whole entire compartment is cast into the lake of fire. So, all of that to say that you're going somewhere when you die. Right? And you need, to, you need to know now, today, you can know today where you are going when you die. You're either going to be with God in heaven to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord or are you going to be in a place of torment which will ultimately land you in the lake of fire the second death as Revelation 20 uh, reminds us so we can know right we can know but there are a lot of people today who say we can't right but if you're a student of the Bible you know we can know 
because the Bible tells us so. And so he concludes with verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. He's already come to that conclusion before, right? That we ought to rejoice in our work. And really the only way we find true joy in our work is because we understand that it's God who gave us the work to do. And we work as unto the Lord. He's, he, he gave us that oasis of hope uh, early on uh, in, in this book. And so that's why I say Solomon, is he's got a plan, he's got a method, and he's given us glimpses of the answer to this issue that he's laid before us is their true meaning in life under the sun. And so he says, hey, we ought to rejoice in our work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Well, there's only one who can bring him to see what will be after him, and that's ultimately God. Right? Now, I can't see it completely. Right? I can get glimpses of it. But, you know, even as Paul says, I, I, the best I can do is see in the mirror dimly because I still have a fallen body and I have an inferior, uh, you know, inferior mind and that's not able to comprehend and understand things the way that a glorified body, glorified mind will. Um, so we have elements of the truth of what will come after us uh, in God's word. He's given us everything he wants us to know about what's going to happen, right? And in so, in, in the best of our ability, we can read God's word and understand what it is that's going to unfold, but I can't understand exactly how every person that I know and my son and my daughters and, and uh, my grandchildren, how their lives, is going to, our lives are going to unfold, uh, you know, in that sense. But I can have the hope that God gives me in his word that no matter what happens to them in this temporal world, that those who have bowed their knee to Christ in my family, among my friends, that they will ultimately, God will, as he says in Romans 8 again, he will work all things to the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the ultimate end of that good is our glorification in the eschaton when we stand before him totally and completely saved body and soul. So that is the conclusion of chapter three in uh, Ecclesiastes. So I hope that's beneficial to you. And again, you know, the greatest point I think that we can take from this today is, hey, two things I'd say. You're going to never get rid of injustice in this world. I don't care how hard you try, you'll never end injustice in this world until Jesus Christ comes again. But you and I need to work to facilitate godly justice in this world. We don't need to put adjectives on it, right? We, we don't need to get caught into this idea that there needs to be some sense of social justice. Because social justice is never true justice. There's only one kind of justice, and it's found in God, it's found in the in the holy character of God and God gives us a glimpse of that in, in, the, in the moral code, the Ten Commandments the law and how it is that we ought to love him with everything that we are and we ought to love our neighbors ourselves and to the best of our ability we need to live in light of that that's what Romans 8 says, those who are filled with the spirit of God, that the righteous requirements of the law will be manifest in us, we can live in that kind, in that sense of justice and where we do see unjustice taking place in this world, injustice taking place in this world, we need to work to point people back to the justice of God and what true justice is. And that means sometimes we speak about it. That means sometimes we, we or all the time, we ought to vote in ways that would, that would bring about biblical 
um, justice in this world through the candidates we put up, through the laws that are enacted. You can never legislate. You can never legislate someone into the kingdom of God, and and I don't care how hard you try. You you will never ever legislate this nation to be a totally 100% quote Christian nation. We can see glimpses of it. We can see glimpses of it, but there's there are fallen humanity, fallen human beings in every place of leadership in this world, in this nation, in every state. And because of that fallenness, there's always going to be levels of injustice in this world. And what we need to live, what we need to do is to the best of our ability, be salt and light and push people toward godly character, godly morality, point people to the law of God because the law of God has three functions. Talk about that this morning in, in our sermon in a, in a passing way. You know, the law of God is a mirror to us to show us who God is and his character and his holiness. It shows us how sinful we are and unholy and unjust we are. And our, it shows us our need for a savior. And it shows us how we ought to live, right? It gives us instruction on how we ought to live in this world, what it looks like for our righteous people to live uh, and be holy and righteous and just. And then it also is a deterrent to evil because almost every code of laws in this world has an element of the the moral code of God because God's written it on the hearts of humanity, right? Uh, like I told them this morning, in most places you go, they're going to have some kind of idea that, hey, you, you, should, you shouldn't murder. You can't go around just murdering people all the time or you can't go around just stealing everything you want to steal. Now, hey, I get it. In our society, when we have people who say, hey, you can steal whatever you want and we're not going to do anything about it. There you go. There's injustice right there. You want to talk about injustice? That's injustice. Uh, and we need to do what we need to do to uh, voice the truth of God about that situation and to vote in ways that would put people in charge who would live up to and line up with uh, the moral codes of God and the moral character of God in our society. And we need to be that salt and light. But you and I also need to understand that whenever we speak up, we got to be ready to suffer whatever consequences come when we speak up, right? Now, again, we, we have an oasis in America. We can speak. We can redress our government with very little, very little fear of repercussion. There are people around this world, if they come to faith in Christ, that their family disowns them. The government may seize their property and their land, uh, may even imprison them. So there are people in this world, it costs them a whole lot to follow Christ. Those of us in America, we have it made as it comes to the history of Christianity in the world. And we ought to be the loudest voices to share the truth of God's word. We ought to be the boldest voices to share the truth of God's word and stand up against whatever injustices are in this world. And then the second thing uh, that you and I need to understand is every person is going to die. Hey, we need to be ready for it, right? You need to be ready for it. You need to face that fact. There's not a person getting out of here alive if Jesus tarries. And you need, you need to be ready to face your creator on the day you take your last breath. And the only way you do that is right now, in this moment, bow your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that and you need to talk about that, well, get a hold to me. Send me a message. Right? I'll be glad to come or be glad to call or be glad to, to share with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How you can know for certain that you are you are saved. And hey, if you're looking for a home church, uh, Friendship Baptist Church, Tallahassee, Alabama, uh, if you're in this area and you don't have a home church, or if you're looking for a church that you're, you're tired of, uh, you know, 
health and wealth or you're tired of uh, motivational uh, speeches and you want to hear sound doctrine exegetical uh, proclamation of god's word verse by verse chapter chapter by chapter book by book where you get a full sense of the truth of god's word then come join us that that's what we do and our our desire is to help people understand again men help you understand fathers help you understand that there is a there is a spiritual spiritual battle going on in this world and there is a battle there's a war being waged for your family for your children right now it's been going on for millennia right but that war continues to rage rage and god has called you to be the champion in your family to be that spiritual leader and so our desire at friendship baptist church is to help equip men to be the spiritual leaders of their homes and help equip mothers to be those uh, disciple makers in their home and together as a team that they come together and they raise their children in the admonition of the Lord. They prepare them to be uh, those soldiers for the kingdom of God that go out into the world and share the truth of Christ uh, wherever they go. They prepare them to be missionaries for the kingdom of God. And so, if that's something you're interested in and want to help with and be a part of, well, come see us. We'd love to see you uh, on a Sunday morning at, at 1030. Well, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.